1: In August of 1901, one of the most mysterious characters in La Crosse history died. Mary Ann Parker, age 83 when she passed, was a recluse who kept mostly to herself. No one knew what was urban legend and what was truth, but everyone knew that behind the overgrown yard and the cluttered mess of her prominent house, there was a story worth hearing. When Mary Ann Parker died, the local newspapers reported every fact about her they could find. The day after her death, the La Crosse Daily Press published an obituary and proclaimed, quote, the death of Marianne Parker closes the career of the most celebrated recluse lacrosse has ever known, a line that sets the tone for the next four months of news coverage. However, the facts remain murky to this day. The only one who knew the truth of her life was Parker herself. Even those closest to her in her final years didn't know her true story.
0: My name is Thomas Schimann. I have been Mrs. Parker's only friend for the last 10 years, but I've known her for much longer. We all joined the First Baptist Church in 1855. I won't lie and say she wasn't an oddball, but most of what you hear is exaggeration. People get one whiff of her and make judgments without even talking to her. I'll admit, I felt bad for her. She was so sad. I don't really remember much from the scandal with her husband, But I think she was treated unfairly. That's why she holed herself away in that house to begin with. People are just so quick to judge. They read something in the paper and think it's fact. Back in the day, she was as fine and respectable as any other well-to-do woman in town. She wore grand dresses and was a social ray of sunshine in the community. She was loved. So was Mr. Parker. But you wouldn't know it if all you saw was who Mrs. Parker was since her husband passed all those years ago. All I can do is tell the court the truth as I know it to try and give Mrs. Parker's side of the story. You see, her good-for-nothing East Coast niece is here trying to stir up trouble. Says Mrs. Parker's fortune rightfully belongs to her family. Says Mrs. Parker wasn't right in the head. Now, like I said, I'll admit she was an odd woman, and yes, She drank at night to calm her nerves and get to sleep. But I don't see how that means she didn't know what she was doing when she wrote her will. She was a smart woman. No matter what anyone tells you, know that she had a sharp mind. Just because she shared her dinner plate with her pet chickens and refused to pay those kids she hired to clear the rats out of the house, doesn't mean she wasn't intelligent. She knew her finances, Her husband had been a successful businessman before his untimely death 30 years ago, and she helped run their estate. She knew exactly what she was doing when she signed that will. Now, I don't know if there's any truth to what her niece is saying about her past, but if I know anything about Mrs. Parker, it's that she would never be capable of something like that.
1: Marianne Parker had lived her final years in La Crosse as a frugal recluse. Her large home on the southwest corner of 8th and State Streets was reported to be in disrepair and she refused to pay her doctor bills. People assumed that she was low on money. However, in her will, she left considerable amounts of money to the YMCA, the La Crosse Hospital Association, and Thomas Shimon. Shimon, as you just heard, was among her only friends in her last years. He also served on the board for the First Baptist Church, to which she left the bulk of her estate. Parker's death was reported all over the country, Sometimes with outlandish claims and details that were not reported in the local papers. One article printed in New York just one day after she died reported that she was worth at least $100,000. Parker's estranged family lived in Brooklyn, and when they heard this, they were angry that she left all her money to local lacrosse organizations. Her niece, Cecilia Savage, traveled to lacrosse from Brooklyn on her family's behalf to contest the will. Savage claimed that Mary Ann Parker had in fact stolen money from her family in the years just before she met and married John Parker, and argued that the final estate belonged to them. Savage also claimed that her aunt was mentally unstable when writing her will, and that Thomas Shimon used undue influence in securing the conditions of her will. The trial that followed was heavily reported by the La Crosse newspapers. Parker was such a curious character that citizens of La Crosse were captivated by the details that they were hearing about Parker's life And both sides brought witnesses who shared enlightening information.
2: I've heard about my Aunt Marianne my whole life from my mom. They were sisters. My mom and aunt were only a year and a half apart in age, though from what I gathered, they were never particularly close. Aunt Marianne was cunning. When my grandfather died, he left his estate of $12,000 to my grandmother, Mary Jacques. She was in an insane asylum for the last years of her life, And when she passed, it was to be divided equally amongst my mother and my Aunt Marianne. But instead, Aunt Marianne disappeared, not just with her own half of the inheritance, but my mother's half as well. Now, this all happened about 50 years ago, before I was born. But my siblings and I grew up poor in Brooklyn because of my Aunt Marianne. When I was a child, my parents found out that she lived here in La Crosse and tried to get her to give us some of the money she stole, but she refused, claimed she hadn't taken nothing, and her money was rightfully hers. (sighs) Can you believe that? She was a total miser. Well, my siblings and I have kept our ears to the ground, waiting all these years for her to kick the bucket, and she finally has. We've been waiting for this our whole lives, to reclaim that money has become our life's mission. So I get here, and what do I find? that Aunt Marianne was utterly disgusting. I mean, they call her Toady. Even in the papers, that's what they call her. And she's left all her wealth to charity cases around town, as if my Aunt Marianne could be a philanthropist. <laughs> her own nieces and nephews are barely scraping by in Brooklyn, and here she is, donating her $5,000 mansion to the First Baptist Church. And she'd already built a house for them, by the way. $1,000 to the YMCA, $1,000 to the La Crosse Hospital Association, and $3,000 to a Mr. Thomas Shimon, the man who was at her beck and call like a properly trained hunting dog, creeping his way into her will, a man who is also a trustee of the First Baptist Church. Doesn't that sound a little fishy to you? Yeah, nothing left for her nieces and nephews. Her own blood. Who she stole from. She was not a sound mind. Now, if that judge allows her will to stand, we're going to appeal it to the circuit judge. And if he allows the will to stand, well, I just want you all to think about how self-serving your local justice system is. You all just want the wealth to stay here, even if you know that money is rightfully ours.
1: The first two days of the trial brought jaw-dropping information. Cecilia Savage brought forward any witness willing to testify that Parker was of unsound mind to prove that her family were heirs-at-law and next of kin of Parker. On top of this, they claimed that the will was obtained by fraud and undue influence practiced either by Thomas Shimon or another party. Many testifying on both sides agreed on the fact that Parker drank alcohol before sleeping each night. In fact, even Shimon, during his three hours on the stand, shared this information unsolicited, adding the fact that Parker would even stir in laudanum a tonic that included opium. He claimed she was never fully under the influence of liquor, though that she was often in a state of drowsiness from the drug. He said he called in on Parker nearly every day for eight years, cooking her meals, cleaning, doing errands for her, and reading to her at night. Despite this, he held firmly that he would not consider her mind unsound. Shimon also testified that he had no part in Parker's charity toward the First Baptist Church. He maintained that it had been her decision to donate the parsonage that she built on her property in 1896. Another witness who was close to Parker, Julia Page, claimed that Parker was not of sound mind, detailing that no one was allowed to clean the house and that Parker would not bathe or change her clothes. Page also testified that Parker showed signs of memory loss. In the month leading up to Parker's death in 1901, Page once caught Shimon hunting for papers one night and that he would not share what papers he was looking for. She found this suspicious, but Parker did not seem especially worried. Other witnesses testified that Parker was miserly and would plead poverty so other people would take care of her. One such witness was Lawrence Kluver, who was once a tenant of
3: Parker's. Look, I really don't know much. I run a sewing machine repair shop next door to Toadie... I mean, Miss Parker for five years. She was my landlady. But just because I interacted with her, that doesn't mean I know her any more than the rest of you. I tried to stay clear of her as much as I could. She smelled, I'm telling you. I always yelled at those kids who bullied her. They would throw rocks at her, yelling, Old Toady Parker! Old Toady Parker. She didn't deserve that kind of abuse, but I didn't exactly disagree with what they were saying. She smelled an awful, like a toad. By golly, she lived with garbage, rats, cats, and chickens! She's lucky if she smelled as good as a toad. Anyways, I feel bad because of what I said in court about her and Mr. Shemin. I mean, it was the truth, but the papers just took off with it. But I'd seen them, you know. I'd lock up my shop, usually around midnight, and I'd have to walk right past her house on State Street. And they'd be in there, in the window. Mrs. Parker... And Mr. Shimon, she'd be sitting on his lap and her rocking chair, and he'd be rocking them back and forth, rubbing her back and her limbs. Pretty weird stuff, if you ask me. I'd never get within five feet of Toadie if I could help it, let alone touch her. It all seems pretty fishy to me. I think we ought to at least listen to what her niece, that Mrs. Savage, is saying. I'm not sure what's true, and I'm not sure what the judge should do about that will, but the past Mrs. Savage is describing would explain why Mrs. Parker couldn't sleep at night. And I mean, we all know the rumors about her husband's death. Some people say that she
2: This story will be continued in the next episode.